Um, interesting enough, um, this message I want to talk about tonight is that a little bit came out of that and some things have happened in my life personally, my health, my son's health. And I said, it's just amazing event in the world that took place, a moment on Golgath that changed the world, the cross. The amazing event, the only religion in the world where our God put himself on the cross for our behalf. No other religion has done that. No other philosophy, no other man can do that. And this one event changed Change the world. You know, and I had someone come up to me. I talk to unbelievers all the time, and I minister to them around. You know, I'd say something. And someone asked me a question. He says, why did he have to die on the cross? Isn't he God? Couldn't he just spoke everything like that? And we're going to go into why that. Now, I'm sure that people like Don Stewart, Pastor Barry, Mike McIntosh, great men of God, theologians can go really deep in why the cross. So I'm a simple layman, layman, so I'm going to give you why I think the cross like that. So that's what we are. And thank God Jesus took simple men to preach the gospel. So I'm kind of in good company, but it's the leading by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we know why the cross, because in Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, Having become a curse for us, for what is written, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So the cross for us, it's not an an idol or an image we worship, but it's a reminder for what he has done for us. That's what the cross is. So what I like to do is I'm going to look at, at Mark 15, 22 to 47. I'm first going to read Mark 22 to 41, then I'll close with 42 to 47. And the title of my message is, Why the Cross? Why did he have to go to the cross? What was happening there that made that difference, that the God of the universe had to go to the cross when he could have done it any other way possible? So turn to me to Mark 15, 22 to 41 first, okay? It says, and they brought him to the place of Golgath, which is translated, which is translated a place of the skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers on his right and and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was murdered with transgressors. And those who passed by blaspheming him waggled their heads and saying, ah, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves were the scribes that said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, they were, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at that ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, 
which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by were then heard, heard that said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come down to take him, take him down. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice and breathed his last. And then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And so when the crucifixion so with, I'm sorry, when the centurion who stood opposing him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There are also women looking on him from, from afar among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Les and Joses and Salomone, who also followed him and ministered to him with when he was in Galilee. And many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before you with this, with this passage, Lord God, and how you put yourself on the cross on our behalf. Lord, I invite the Holy Spirit in this place to show us the great work you have done and why you have done it and why the cross had to come, Lord. I ask you to open our ears and our eyes and still our hearts. Lord, I pray for that. I pray that your spirit would fill this place and speak to us, Lord, to know the great work. That moment in history changed everything for mankind because of the unselfish gift that you gave in your life. So we ask that you be glorified tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. So why the cross? Interesting question. And as we know, all four Gospels recorded the death of Jesus. And what I found interesting is that none of them go into graphic detail of the crucifixion on the terrible beating Jesus suffered by the hands of Roman soldiers. I believe there are a couple of reasons why the brutality of Jesus' death was not exposed, was not expounded in great detail. One was that the crucifixion being a common practice back there, therefore there was no reason to really go into detail. I mean, we have the same thing today. We have the gas chamber, electric chair, death by injection. We don't talk about it. We don't go into graphic detail what happened. Now, we have mental images what happens. But also, but at least the scripture gives us Psalm 22, gives, gives us some description on how the Lord's agonies as he hung on the cross. But more so, I think the writers didn't want to distract from the reason why Jesus died on the cross. And that was to strengthen our faith. He wanted to strengthen our faith through that. I believe the question that was going through everybody's mind was, how could this happen? Wait a minute. Is this not the one that raised the dead? Is this not the one that fed tens, tens of thousands of people from a couple pieces of fish and a, some bread? Is this not the one that just walked through, through cities and healed the multitudes? Is this not the one that could even control the weather? How can he die? I think that's what bewildered him. So let's say the disciples truly understood that Jesus was God. They could think, is not Jesus a Christ incarnate? How could he die? How can God die? So I'm sure it just, it just destroyed their hope. And that was the question. It wasn't so much what was happening. It was why it was happening. How could it happen? To understand this, we must go back to the book of Genesis. We see Adam and his tragic sin. God had warned him that disobedience result in death. In fact, his disobedience brought to mankind two deaths, 
Two kinds of deaths, physical and spiritual. Both kinds of death came, both kinds of death here can be defined in one word, separation. We became separated from God, which is the biblical and theological meaning of the word death. What I find amazing, Jesus in the garden, when he was praying and anguishing over, over what was going to happen, it was the spiritual separation from the Father that was going to happen more than the, he was anxious over the spiritual than more than the physical. Jesus knowing how amazing and wonderful it was to be with the Father's presence and desiring, so the death came, so he was desiring for us to have that relationship reestablished, drove him to the cross. It wasn't the physical death he was concerned. He knew what was going to happen. It was that hours of separation from the Father that broke him. And we don't even understand that. We have no idea what it's going to be like to be in the presence. And it's all going to come to reality when we get there. But Jesus knew. And he loved us enough to say, I want them to have that relationship with the Father, so I have to go to the cross. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. Spiritual death is the parting separation of the unsaved person from God. Revelations 28, 21.8 says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexual immorals, the scoffers, I mean the, the, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What I find interesting, and everyone knows this is a very common verse, the first word is cowardly. Amazing. I believe that's a priority for God. Who is the cowardly? Everybody who denies Jesus is God. I want to be politically correct. I don't want to make waves. I want to live my life. I want to go the easy way. Cowards don't get into battles. Cowards don't stand for what's right. Cowards yield. Cowards hide. Cowards submit. It's tough to be a Christian. It's tough, but it's worth it. To walk with God, to hear from God. But the cowardly is the first thing that goes. So then these two hellish enemies, physical and spiritual death, was, was let loose by Adam, which has continued to curse and terrorize the whole human race. Then in the fullness of time, God sent his beloved son to our world, who was identified by, by Paul as the last Adam in 1 Corinthians 15.45. And so it's written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became the life-giving spirit. So why this title, the last Adam? Because Jesus had come to undo what the first Adam had previously done. That is, he came to rid mankind of these two evils, enemies, physical and spiritual death. This he had to be done on the cross. Where he died spiritually, being separated from God and dying physically as he accomplished both tasks. And so why on the cross? Why did Jesus speak it? Why didn't he just speak it to make everything right? He spoke the universe in existence. As I said earlier, he raised the dead. He stopped storms. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. Because he could not. This is the biggest. He could not deny himself or his word. In other words, <clears throat> in other words, he cannot break his own rules. He has to be true to himself. God is first true to himself. If not, what we would base our faith and hope on would be empty. 
because it would change. It'd be flexible. It'd be, it would be dynamic. And that's not what it is. God has to be true to himself and to his word. So because only by the cross, spiritual death was immediately given a death blow. In other words, he said, back at you. It's done. That's why he said it was finished. Paul later assured us that nothing can separate the believer from the love of God. In Romans 8, 35 to 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or pearl, or sword, as is written, For your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things, nor present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And it was by only the cross that would prevent any type of separation just mentioned. He couldn't just speak it. He had to give death a death blow by his own death. And in regard to the physical death, Paul gives us 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one to 55. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise incorruptible and we shall be changed. And for this corruptible corruptible must be put on incorruption and for the mortal must be put on immortality. So when the corruptible has been put on incorruption and the mortal has been put on immortality, then shall... Be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in your victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Again, only by the cross. In these verses, we have so much, we have so much going on around the cross. See, there was a lot happening around that cross that, that it would take, it's amazing. There were the seven utterances of Jesus. The two thieves that were crucified with Jesus. The insults and the mocking, the denying the wine, the crying out of the, the crying out to the Father, the women at the cross, then the burial of Jesus. Every one of these events at the cross had a specific purpose, even the Roman soldier declaring God, Christ is God. It would take me a month of Sundays to cover these verses but, but in their meaning. But tonight, I just want to go over a few of them and touch a few of the events that took place when Jesus was on the cross. The first one I want to look at is verse 27. And with them, they also accused two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. Then verse 28, it's, it's quoting Isaiah 53:12. Therefore, I will divide him him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death as he was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions and jumping down to verse 32 it says let the Christ the king of Israel descend now from the cross that he may see and believe even those who were crucified with him reviled him Now, Mark does not record that one of the thieves repented. So I'm going to go and look at Luke 
23, Luke 23, 42 to 43. Then he said to Jesus, this is the other thief, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, surely I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. So therefore, again, why the cross? And this is why I believe this. I believe because the father predestined this event by having two, by Jesus surrounded by two thieves, two thieves, L.A. school system, that was the problem, okay. Two thieves and was shown his tremendous love for us and amplified several facts concerning salvation. We see here is salvation is, is offered to anyone, anywhere, and deathbed conversions are valid. As long as there's breath in a person's lung, as long as he's or she is alive, there is hope for salvation till the last breath. I worked a year with Pastor Bryce going, and I've told this story, to a hospice center. And there's people die, go there to die. And we'd walk in, and there's no time to be to, to sugarcoat anything. Go up to the person in bed, introduce yourself. Can we pray for you? Can we sing a song for you? No. Do you know you're dying? Do you know you will stand before God and either you will go to heaven or you will go to earth, to hell? Simon, want to hear it. Go back next Tuesday. Still there. God kept him alive. Same thing. I couldn't believe how many times, yes, will you pray for me? Would you like to receive salvation? Would you like to know that you're, 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 for eternity you will spend with a loving God? Maybe they never heard the word or they heard it didn't, it didn't. Yes. Go back to Fallen Tuesday. God took them home. Saw it over and over and over and over again. So they're never give up hope on anybody. Never give up hope on that. And I, I gotta confess, and I know she's watching me online. My daughter was a prodigal. She was a rebel. And I would pray like, oh yeah, this girl's never gonna get saved. But I would pray. I pray out of obedience because God's word is faithful. It doesn't matter what I think is going to happen. God is faithful. And we prayed out of obedience day in and day out for 19 years. And that girl is on fire for Jesus. As long as a breath in there is long, as long as they're alive, there's hope. Okay. So, overcoming... Why only one conversion and the other one denying? That's a good question. Someone asked me. I believe so. No dying man can despair, as I mentioned. So to never think that it's, there's no hope. Secondly, which I think is more important, that no living man will presume he's going to heaven. I believe that this is one of the greatest deceptions of the enemy. There's too many people even walking around, oh, I'm going to heaven. Why? And they can give you a laundry list of reasons except the one you need to hear. I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So I think the more important one was the one denied because I think too many people presume. I think just people sitting in church that haven't given their hearts to Jesus presume since they go to church they're going to get saved and go to heaven. Powerful messages, those two thieves next to him. 
I like what D.L. Moody once said. He says, never did, did ever the new birth take place so strange a cradle as that man hung on the cross. So why the cross? Also another reason is so we can live Matthew 5.44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I bet the Pharisees... Heads must have exploded when they heard Jesus say to the criminal next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. I bet they couldn't handle it. They said, wait a minute. He's a sinner. But that's what, without the cross, we couldn't have that. We couldn't pray for those who persecute us, who hate us, our enemies. But the power of the cross gives us that. Next, looking at these contrasts, which is, which is, um, <clears throat> Which is amazing is that when you look at the thief that hung on next to him that repented, why the cross? In the morning, the thief was nailed to the cross. In the evening, he was wearing a crown. In the morning, he was an enemy of Caesar. In the evening, he was a friend of God. In the morning, he was rejected by men. In the evening, he was fellowship with angels. In the morning, he died as a criminal on earth. In the evening, he lived as a citizen in heaven. Only, and I mean only by the way of the cross, that could happen. So we see here, salvation will be rejected by some, spite of everything God will do, even go to the cross. The other thief died eternally lost. He was a coward. That's what a coward is. That's why when people say, why the cross? Because we could, Jesus could have said, okay, you know, I'm going to heal everyone. There's no impact. There's no impact there. It's kind of like, okay, you told me everything's fine, great. There was nothing. There was no loss. There was no gain. There was nothing. There was no impact. The cross had impact. It changed the world. So here we see three men hanging on the cross. One was dying for our sin, Jesus our Savior. One was dying from sin, the repented thief. One was dying in sin, the lost, unrepented thief. The question is for those here and watching, which thief are you? Don't presume, don't assume. Don't assume, that's the biggest deception of the enemy. Next here we see the, why the cross, because there was twice all the classes of humanity being represented. There was the indifferent, and that's everywhere in our world. Luke 25, I'm sorry, 23, 35. And the people, and the people stood looking, looking, the looky-loos, I call them, the bystanders. They watch, and it was all over. They just moved along with their life. No impact was made on them, they, but they could not deny what they saw. How many people come to church? How many people hear the word? How many people see miracles happen? How many people, God's favorite says it falls on the just and the un, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You know, they, they pray, we, we pray for unbelievers. I see them get healed. No impact. Nothing. They just move along with their life. Next, the religious. Luke 25, 20, again, 23, 35, part B. But even the rulers with their sneering saying that he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ, the the chosen of God. All the false religions who don't deny Jesus live, but he is just one of many teachers. And even in the church today, not denying Jesus, but but injecting their own theology, which is doctrine of demons. It's flat out what it is. 
Call it what it is. You start adding anything to that, it's doctrines of demons. <gasps> yes, it is. Jesus and. Jesus or. And this, do this. And you must do that. He didn't hang on the cross to share his glory with anything or anybody. And then there's the materialistic, Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Here, they're at, they're at the feet of Jesus where salvation looms and they're trying to make a buck. And this does not just happen in the world, but we will see it in the body of Christ. So you know, when it comes to the regard of money, there's over, there's over 200, 2,200 scriptures in the Bible regarding money. And why so many verses? Because I think money has one of the greatest influence in our lives. Proverb 23, 4 says, and, and this is the NIV version, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Have the wisdom to show restraint. There are churches and denominations who bring in millions of dollars. Their facilities and grounds are absolutely amazing. I went to Europe and I walked through the Vatican. It was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And you know, the money, they, they own half of Rome. Everywhere I went, what about the apartments? Oh, the Vatican owns it. What about the Vatican owns it? Every time I went, the rest, Vatican owns it. Really? Millions and millions and millions of dollars probably. And I love the Pope. He's a socialist. He's a typical socialist. Let's take from the rich and give to the poor. Or from others. What are you doing with all your wealth? I mean, he's good. I'm not going to, I'm not criticizing the Catholic faith, but everyone's going to stand, whatever God entrusts us with, we're going to stand accountable for it. There's mega churches, amazing. And you'll see something go down, a tragedy in the world. You don't find them anywhere around there. And they have millions of dollars. Casting lots for the robes at the foot of the cross. And made some money. Good deal. And finally, there's the earnest seeker. And this is amazing. The thief said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Think about of all the people in watching around, seeing Jesus get crucified on the cross. One person gets saved that we know of. He, he asked for salvation. I'm not saying people didn't leave in their lives and get changed. There wasn't a wave. There wasn't a big altar call. And they came to the foot of the cross. Oh, Jesus. We, one person asked for salvation. Everybody else mocked. Looky lose. Made money. These four examples that happen at the cross make it very clear that the cross, indeed, the, it, indeed the judgment of this world, it's going to judge this world. In John 12, where Jesus predicts his death on the cross in verses 28 to 32, Father, glorify your name. This is when, when the voice comes down and talks to you, when, when the Father's voice comes down and, and, and speaks to, to his son. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, the voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now, in the judgment of the world, 
Now the rule of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to me. And he was lifted up on the cross. And that's what draws us. That's what draws us. And Jesus was lifted up. Then in verse 36, it said, someone had ran and a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. And we know that Jesus did not partake of the wine. And there were two reasons, I believe, why that happened. Matthew 26, 29. For I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the wine from now, from now on until the day when I drink it, drink it new with my father and my kingdom. And even and even though it was customary for the victims to be given narcotic potions that would help deaden the pain, Proverbs 3.31.6 says, Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Our Lord refused it. For one thing is, I believe, he wanted to be in full possession of his faculties as he did the Father's will and accomplished the work of redemption. He wanted to enter fully into the sufferings on our behalf and take no shortcuts. He refused the cup of sympathy so that he might drink the cup of our inequity. And only the cross could do that. I think this is a clear example for us how our life as Christians should live. In the fellowship with his sufferings, Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We would not know him if there was not a resurrection, if there was not a cross. And the fellowship of his sufferings being comforted to his death. What Paul is saying here, don't despise the difficulty, the tragedy, the tough time, the setback, the heartache, or those are the times that will, those are the times that we will understand that Jesus is truly risen. Those are the times that we know he's risen. And to know that he is risen, he had to go to the cross first. In all our hard times, that cross is hope now. Because there's a promise that came from that cross. If it was just words, I don't think the impact would have been there. Then in verse 37 to 39... And Jesus cried out in a loud voice and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out, cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man is the son of God. I want to mention this Roman soldier statement was recorded. And I believe it was recorded for a reason. Because him saying that would have got him in serious trouble with the Roman government and the Jewish leaders to the point it would have put him to death. So what this tells me, it shows us by the cross, that gives every believer the power to stand for Jesus regardless of the consequences. That's exactly what it says. When we know and understand the cross, there's no silence. There's, we're not cowards. Read through history. All the men and women have served the Lord and the lives are laid down because they knew the cross. And that Roman soldier was the first one. He's just, he, didn't, he knew. He could have died, right? They would have killed him right there. That's the power of the cross. Two remarkable events. <clears throat> two remarkable events occurred as Jesus' death 
And there was an earthquake and a veil in the temple was torn in two. Remember in the beginning of this message, I discussed that Adam in Genesis was the first Adam and Jesus was the last Adam who came to undo what the first Adam did. Well, in regard to the earthquake, in Exodus 19.18, it says, Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Then the law was given. But now the law was fulfilled, and Jesus and the curse was removed, Romans 10.4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So as the first quake invoked the law, now from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, the second earthquake evoked not only freedom from the law, but also freedom from the entire sacrificial system. Now let's look at the veil. Everyone knows that veil, we're very familiar with it, 60 feet long, 30 feet wide, and about 30 feet thick. It took 300 priests to move it. I love it because this is a great example of man and his religious system. Massive veil, we need all these men to do this stuff. It's all about us. We're going to do it in our strength. In comparison to the Lord, Matthew 11:30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What a contrast. By Jesus going to the cross, it caused the tearing of the veil from top to bottom, removing man with all his religious rules and regulations. But sad to say, man has been trying to sew up the veil ever since. For the past 2,000 years, man can't but help himself but to put religious burdens and rules and regulations on men. All through the Reformation period, remember the Catholics. You had you had you you had uh, paying penance for act of self mortification or devotion to perform voluntary to voluntary to show sorrow for sin or wrongdoing, paying indulgences, where you purchase an exemption for punishment. That's why the Reformation came and said, "What are you doing?" It's Christ him crucified on the cross. Forgives everything. We're redeemed. The churches of today are no different. Don't get me wrong. We need guidelines and parameters because God is a God of order. But so many churches are indoctrinating the church with man's rules and, and doctrines. Look at the false doctrines and theologies that, that we see today. We have, we have the emerging church, replacement theology, dominion theology. Does anyone read Matthew 24, Dominion Theology? Dominion Theology is where, where they teach that we as the church have to bring peace and order in the world so Jesus can return. Where does it say that? Someone better read Matthew 24, what's going to happen before Jesus returns. There's even a doctrine now that you don't even have to repent of your sin. Just believe. Great. No matter how you look at it, it's all doctrine of demons. And it doesn't matter which way you slide it on the scale. Men are sewing up the curtain between man and the truth about God. We'll close now reading verses 42 to 47. It says, now when, 
Now, when evening, now when evening had come, because of what the prep of, of the, it was the preparation day that, that is the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Athemia, a prominent council member who who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. And so when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body of jo- the, the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in linen, and laid him in a tomb which had been hand um, out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of, of Josias, and, uh, observed where he was laid. First, I found interesting is that Jesus was born of a virgin and then he was laid in a virgin tomb, never been used. In verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, uh, Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God to come, Finally, taking courage, turned out of the cower with the courage, went in the pilot and asked for Jesus' body. Now, in Matthew 27, again, Mark doesn't mention Nicodemus, but in Matthew 27, also identifies Nicodemus went with Joseph to recover Jesus' body. Both of these men could be considered, and we've heard this term before, secret disciples of Jesus who followed Jesus from a distance. I believe what brought them out of the woodwork was the wooden cross, just like the Roman guard. You cannot. The power of the cross was overwhelming. They studied the scriptures, and when they came across scriptures like Psalm 22 in the book of Isaiah, and they witnessed the crucifixion, it cut like a double-edged sword, and they could no longer live in secret about Jesus. Jesus does not have secret agents or undercover Christians. Jesus died a public, humiliating death, naked and exposed. Therefore, we should be public about our faith. And to do that, we have to continually be in the word, praying and seeking God and remembering the cross. Remembering the cross. Like these two men, and then by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will also find the courage to boldly go out and live for Jesus. The cross is a promise that we live in victory. No matter what we are experiencing in life, we can always look to the cross and be reminded what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you as I just was speaking this, it ministered to me on what you did on that cross, Lord, and what you revealed. God, we thank you that you did go to the cross and that the power is not in the cross, but the power is what you did on the cross. And Lord, we can turn to the cross and remember everything you did. You said, do this in the remembrance of me, Lord. Lord, we pray for healings and they come. We pray for deliverance and they come. And we pray against all that comes against us. And it's the power that you have pounded, the resurrected power of the cross, Lord God, that gives us that power and that blessing, Lord. And we thank you. And Lord, let us never be shy or quiet or cowardly towards that, but be bold for what you have done for us. Hanging yourself on that tree on our behalf. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.